Good morning. Good Easter morning to us all. Uh, let me pray for us again. Father, we thank you for a day to worship you. God, for those of us that have health and strength and life and vigor, we thank you for it. We thank you, God, that Christ did not stay dead, that he rose up out of the grave, and not only did he raise, he has ascended to the right hand of you, Father, and he intercedes on behalf of us, his children. What an amazing truth. God, we pray that you would teach us in this hour to wait eagerly on the fullness of that redemption, that final resurrection. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So every year... Right, Christians look forward to this day, right? Easter Sunday. We look forward to this day. It's not, as we rehearse, maybe too much. Uh, this Sunday is not any different than any other Sunday since we always are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But nevertheless, churches are always uh, looking forward to this Easter Sunday, right? It's, the weather is warming. The tulips are out. Uh, I have great appreciation after spending half the day yesterday with my family mowing the grass around temple so thank you to Carlton and to Kirk Pastor Motes for the hard work you've done for the years to take care of these grounds you know but I was doing all that stuff just thinking about the the you know the possibility of people coming right and filling up the grounds of the uh, lawns of here at Temple Baptist and we think uh, on Easter about the uh, the church's meeting houses being full you know I can remember just a couple months ago wondering if we were going to have enough room in here for this day today we have plenty of room in here uh, we think about sermons on Easter Sunday, right? You know, we, uh, a Sunday uh, where we, we know we're going to get a sermon full of gospel hope. We think about Easter dinners with family and friends later in the evening, after church and the like. And yet here we are, our fifth Sunday, apart from one another, with no hope of any immediate return. Uh, I'm preaching to a camera and a largely empty room. No singing, no Lord's Supper, no fellowship, no Easter dinners. And so I just want to say out loud what I think many of us are thinking. This stinks, right? I mean, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This, this stinks, right? This, this is not normal. And so the, the thing that I could do is just sort of come up here and sort of act like everything's normal and just everybody's happy and just sort of give you a nice, easy, happy Sunday Easter morning sermon, but I'm not going to insult you in that way and act like everything's normal because it's not normal. We are going to talk about the joy of the resurrection. We'll talk about that Easter Sunday, but import, more importantly, I think also we're going to be thinking about our final re resurrection, but I don't want to do this. I don't want to preach this morning in a way that diminishes the pain, the disappointment, the inconvenience, the concerns of our moment. I'm not going to preach in a manner that just sort of pushes that aside and we just put on a, smi a smiley face to act like everything's okay because it's not okay. So instead, I'm going to preach a sermon this morning, an Easter sermon that is going to try to match the moment we find ourselves in. And what that means is that I'm going to demand something from you. Uh, for me to preach a sermon that matches the moment that we find ourselves in, I'm going to need you to be patient with me because uh, I'm going to have to step into this moment. I'm going to have to talk a little bit about pain and suffering and waiting. 
And I realize that is not the Easter sermon script that pastors are given in seminary. Maybe it's not the sermon that you maybe tuned into this morning. Maybe it's not the sermon that you thought you would hear this morning, but I do think it's a sermon that you need, and I certainly know that it's one that I need. More on that in a moment. But we're going to find ourselves here, as Joey said, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Big idea this morning is is I want to teach us about how we are active in waiting. I want to teach us about how to be active in our waiting. Context here of Romans chapter 8 here is, is we are after the resurrection of Christ. He has come. He has died. He has resurrected. He has ascended by the time this passage is being written. And so here, Paul is going to talk about the final resurrection. Uh, We'll mention this later, but Jesus' resurrection pointed to a final resurrection. So here in Romans chapter 8, we learn about how suffering and how it leads us to wait on something better. It leads us to hope in heaven. That's what we're going to see. It's a fitting passage because I think we're too surrounded by suffering, aren't we? And we also are surrounded by waiting. These two things are very much in our moment. And so take a look at Romans 8.23. That verse is going to kind of be home base for us. Here's what it says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So again, there Paul is talking about the final resurrection, the hope of heaven, the fullness of what Jesus accomplished at the cross and in the resurrection. And the thing that led me to this verse was that word, wait. Again, that's what I feel like we've been doing. That's what we will be doing in in many ways, waiting. And so we're all kind of waiting to get back to normal, right? And so I wanted to find a verse that spoke into waiting and to resurrection. And it was in my reading of that passage that I realized that I have been groaning in my waiting. I have been waiting eagerly for my boys to go play baseball. I have been eagerly waiting for the church to gather. I've been eagerly waiting for life to return to normal. But if I was being perfectly honest, I don't know how much over these last few weeks, I don't know how much I would say that I've been eagerly waiting for the final resurrection. Don't know how much that's come to my mind over these past few weeks. And again, I want to be clear about something. We should be wanting those things. We should be wanting life to get back to normal. Nothing wrong with that. I do not intend to denigrate that in any way this morning. Those things are normal. Those things should be expected. But I don't know in my waiting, I don't know how much I've been eagerly waiting, groaning for that final resurrection. And my guess is a lot of you are like me. Some of you I trust have been hoping in heaven. Some of you I trust have been groaning. This moment has taught you that. But my suspicion is that there are many of you that are like me. That you have been thinking about a lot about life turning to normal, but not much about the final heaven. And so in that way, I hope this sermon is not indulgent. I'm going to talk a little bit more about me than I'm used to. So I hope my experiences sort of might describe some of your experiences. So we're not going to talk about the badness of wanting life to get back to normal. No, 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 that's a good thing. I want to use this moment to teach us how to wait actively for our hope in heaven. How can we learn from this moment to get us to a place where we're living inside of Romans 8.23? That's the question. 
How do we get to Romans 8.23? How do we get to a place where we're learning how to eagerly wait for our hope in heaven, the redemption of our bodies? How do we get there? How can we get to that? Because my suspicion is, again, most of us are not doing that. And so if God is sort of lovingly, kindly sent us to our rooms to sober us and have us consider our lives before him, and if we then look at a verse like Romans 8.23 and realize, yeah, while I'm in here, I'm realizing maybe I don't do much of that. At least I might wait for heaven, but I don't know if I eagerly wait for it. I don't know if I'm groaning for it. How do we then get inside of verse 23? How can we learn how to wait actively for our hope? In heaven, as I have said last week, guys, let's come out of these moments. Let's come out of these moments having learned something. That's what I hope to do. And so also, if you're listening in this morning, watching in, and you're not a Christian, friend, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to learn about what Christians hope in. So I hope that you'll be helped as we go through this. Three ways in which I think we can learn how to grow in our hope of eagerly waiting in heaven and Learn how to come out of this moment better. Three ways. The first one is the one maybe you didn't expect this morning. Suffer with Christ. How do we do this? How do we grow in waiting? Growing in our hope in heaven? How do we get there? Suffer with Christ. On Friday, we celebrated what we call Good Friday. This is the day where we remember that Jesus was handed over. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He was made to carry a cross to Golgotha. Once he was there, he was nailed to that cross, his hands and his feet. The charge above his head was king of the Jews, which is ironic, right? Because he was. He was crucified for who he actually was. The people came by him and mocked him, saying that he could save others, but he couldn't save himself. Most everyone thought that he'd lost. It was a terrible sight. There was nothing about that moment in the crucifixion that seemed good. It seemed as though, and it was, terrible suffering. And yet it was not surprising to Jesus. Jesus told his followers that all of this would happen. So he wasn't surprised by his crucifixion. He expected his crucifixion. It was his life's mission. So as lambs and goats and bulls would be offered as sacrifices in the days of old as sin offerings, And even today, as death penalties and crime penalties are enacted in some cases today, Jesus was offering his innocent life as a payment for sinners who hoped in him for forgiveness. Our sin, friends, like any other crime, demands a penalty. And none of us finite creatures are able to make a payment to an infinite God. No amount of religion, no amount of good intentions, no matter of sort of being good people. We can't make that payment for our sin. And so in love, God supplied for us a payment in his son. As Galatians teach us, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was a substitute for all those that hope in him. And so on the cross, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God for all who hope in him. And therefore, while Jesus was weak, On the cross, he was strong in his suffering. While he had appeared to lose in the sight of the world, he was in those moments winning more than ever before. And so therefore, this is why Christians have taken the cross as a symbol of their faith. We're reminded that it is a device of execution. It's a device of suffering. 
the symbol of suffering, because it was by suffering, by the suffering of Christ, that we who believe in Christ were made to win, were set free. And Jesus promised us that not only did that happen to him, he promised us that it would happen to us. He said that in this world that you will have persecution. He says great tribulation will come upon you. Not just persecutions, all kinds of tribulations, trials, tribulations. He promised us that that would happen. Therefore, friends, in order for us to get to a place where we're active in our waiting, eagerly waiting for the final resurrection, lamentably, we must embrace the school of suffering with Christ. It is necessary, it's a necessary part of building our hope in heaven. Take a look up there in Romans 8, 16 to 17. Look at those verses. See what they say there. Writing to Christians, Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, right? Stop there. We're thinking, yeah, love that. I'm down with that. But look what he says next. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. There's heaven. That we may also be glorified with him. And that's what then leads Paul. That verse, what leads Paul into his meditation on suffering in the verses that follow. And so friends, if we are going to come out of this quarantine better, more hopeful, more eager for the hope of heaven, the final resurrection, if we're going to get inside of Romans 8, 23, we are going to have to learn how to embrace suffering with Christ. We're going to have to learn how to suffer with Christ. Doesn't mean we need to go out and find pain and suffering. Doesn't mean we need to go looking for it. The reality is it's going to come to us, right? It's going to come to us. And when it comes, if we are going to grow in groaning, in our hope of redemption, the final resurrection, we're going to have to embrace that suffering with Christ as opposed to enduring that suffering without Christ. So I had a pastor friend who spoke to another pastor friend uh, in China recently, this past week. And he was giving a testimony to their church on the other side of this coronavirus. And one of the things that pastor in China said was that there was a number of people that walked away from the church as a result of the coronavirus and all that happened. And that, of course, is not surprising. In fact, right, Jesus told us that those kinds of things would happen. But what we learned from those people was that they were unwilling to suffer with Christ. They wanted heaven now. So they walk away from suffering with Christ in order to try to find heaven elsewhere. But for those of us who desire to endure, those of us that want Jesus, want the fullness of our redemption, want that final resurrection, want Jesus, want heaven, we're going to have to suffer. We're going to have to learn how to suffer with Christ. In other words, we're going to have to walk through these valleys with Jesus, looking to his rod and staff to comfort us. If we're going to learn how to groan and wait eagerly for redemption, we're going to take the suffering and hold fast to Christ in it, looking to him. I want to be clear about something, though, as I say this. This doesn't mean that the glory of heaven needs suffering to be made glorious. No. God is glorious apart from creation. But it does tell us that this is the way things are. 
the suffering of the crucifixion led to the deepening of the glory of the resurrection. Suffering on Friday built upon the joy for Sunday. Take away the suffering of Friday and you compromise the splendor of Sunday. Take away the winter and you steal from the joy of spring. And friends, so it is with us. You and I will never grow to groan for glory unless we learn how to suffer with Christ, holding fast to Him amidst it, listening to Him amidst it. So here's the my little moment kind of led to this sermon. Tuesday morning sometime, I was praying to the Lord. And as I was praying, I was rehearsing to the Lord all these different things that I was sort of lamenting that they weren't here, that we weren't getting to participate in, or uh, I was just not happy about, and I wanted to have change. I was bringing all of that to the Lord, which is good. You should be doing that. I hope that you're doing that. Uh, But as I was rehearsing all of these things to the Lord, as I was praying, I didn't hear any voices from God, but I was struck as I prayed that something was missing. I'm kind of rehearsing all this, kind of complaining a little bit to the Lord. And it was sort of one of those moments as I was praying, maybe like you've experienced this before, maybe you're in an argument and you're trying to make a point to somebody and they sort of stop talking, so they stop interacting with you and their eyebrows kind of raise and then you start to listen to yourself talk. You know, you ever had that happen? And then you start to realize a bigger point that you weren't noticing before? You ever had that happen? That's what happened to me. When your energy starts to shift of trying to make them get your point to you start to listen. As I was doing that on Tuesday in my time of prayer with the Lord, my loving heavenly Father spoke to me in a way. There was this strong sense that I was complaining. And and again, good things, asking for good things, which I think our Lord wants to hear. The Lord pressed upon me in that moment. My loving heavenly Father said, Nathan, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you something. You're so focused on getting through all of this stuff, you're not listening to me. All, Nathan, you want to do is just talk to me all the stuff you want to get back to, but I'm trying to, Nathan, I'm trying to get your attention. I love you, son, and I need you to listen to me right now. We're going to get to that stuff. I'm glad you're telling me about that stuff, but listen, you're going to have to, I'm trying to teach you something. Pay attention to that too. There was a sense in which I wanted, as it were, heaven without the suffering. I didn't want to listen to it. I realized in that moment that I was really bad at waiting. I already knew that suffering was hard. I didn't need to learn that. But I did need to learn to suffer. I do need to learn to suffer with Christ. The suffering I'm experiencing, right, the suffering that most of us are experiencing is very slight. Right At the end of the day, for most of us, some of us have experienced a lot of suffering, but for most of us, it's kind of severe inconvenience. But the reality is, it is a level of inconvenience. It is a level of suffering. And I wonder if we're listening. I wonder if we're suffering, being inconvenienced, as it were, with Christ. Are we paying attention 
to what the inconvenience to the suffering. Are we paying attention to what it's teaching us? Or are we putting all of our energy, all of our focus on what we want to do when this is all over? And friends, if we are going to be Romans 8.23 kinds of people, waiting like that, groaning like that, people who groan for the pain of the world now, people who wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, that is the fullness of heaven on earth, then we are going to have to learn how to suffer with Christ. We are going to have to listen in the pain so that it will teach us to wait on the pleasure of heaven. It will, we, if we only focus on what we get on Sunday without considering and sitting and learning about the pain of Friday, we then will check the joy of Sunday. Another example of this, I hated it, but on Wednesday, I attended a funeral. It was an awful funeral. All funerals are awful, but this one was especially awful. And in light of that lesson that the Lord was kind of bringing my attention to on Tuesday, this was on Wednesday, I made sure at that funeral to feel the hurt, to feel the pain. To let it teach me. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not supposed to happen. Tears, groaning, a lot of groaning Wednesday. I was living in Romans 8.23 on Wednesday morning. And it was birthing in me, groaning. It was birthing in me, I want this over. I'm tired of waiting for this. I'm tired of these kinds of funerals. Again, friends, we don't need to go looking for pain and suffering, but when it comes, like it is all around us now, don't run away from it. Don't sprint to Sunday. Lament, grieve underneath the bloody cross of Friday. And if you and I do that, it will deposit deep longings for Sunday in the now. So as you learn to wait, learn to lament so that you might learn to long for heaven. As you learn to wait, learn to lament, so that you might learn to long for heaven. Now, the more you do, the more you will enjoy heaven when it comes. And it is coming. And so we need to learn to suffer with Christ if we are going to learn how to wait for heaven. We need to let Friday do its work on us if we're going to enjoy the victory on Sunday, which leads to the second thing we need to do. We suffer with Christ. Secondly, we slow down with Christ. We slow down with Christ. This is part of the work of the suffering. So if, if we are going to come out of this moment learning how to wait, in particular how to eagerly wait for the final resurrection that Paul's talking about there in Romans 8.23, the coming of heaven where sin and death will be destroyed, the thing that Jesus' first resurrection paid for and bought and anticipates, we've got to learn to suffer with Christ and we've got to learn to slow down with Christ, even in that suffering and even in the waiting. Look at verse 24, the one right after verse 23. Next verse says, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's that wait again notion with patience. So that's where I'm getting this notion of slowing down with Christ. I'm getting it from that word patience. 
Patience assumes delay, not hurry. No one needs patience to blink, right? No one needs patience to smell. No one needs patience to listen to this right now. It just happens. You don't need patience for that. But we do need a lot of patience for all kinds of other things. You need patience to not eat another Oreo, right? (laughs) You need patience to sit at the stoplight. You need patience with our spouses and with our kids, with our roommates. Patience assumes delay, and delay is the opposite of hurry. And we're in a hurry a lot, aren't we? So if we are going to learn to wait eagerly for the coming of heaven, the redemption of our bodies, we are going to have to learn patience, which means we have to learn how to slow down in our attempts to hurry heaven up. Going back to that conversation I had with the Lord this last week, the the point where I began to grow was when I noticed my heart wanted to hurry past the moment. It was not just the learning from the suffering, but I also just wanted to get through the suffering, get through the difficulty. And I wanted to get on to what I wanted. Again, good things. I hope I've made that clear. We should be wanting for these things. I fear, though, what we're doing, what I'm trying to speak into is the, is the opportunity we have to learn something in this, not getting rid of the good things, just learning from it. And so I wish it didn't have to be this way, but the Lord used my pleas for a return to all the things I was missing out on to reveal that not only did I want to circumvent the school of suffering, but also I wanted to circumvent the school of stillness, the school of slowing down, choosing the good portion with Christ, and learning in the waiting. So the reason why I don't want to miss out on all of these things and get on to these other things that I want to do is because much of my angst to get back to normal, as it were, is because I've been working hard to hurry up my own heaven now. In other words, I'm frustrated from being kept from the full participation of idols in my life that I'm trying to fashion for my own personal heaven now. Thereby, again, circumventing or curbing any desire for the real heaven that demands suffering and patience, stillness, slowness with Christ. I realize that part of the reason why I don't groan for heaven is because I'm a lot like Martha. I'm distracted with much serving for my own kingdom. I'm anxious and troubled about many things because unlike Mary, I don't slow down long enough in the waiting. I don't slow down long enough to sit at the feet of the king of kings. I just want to get on to the thing that I want to get on to. I don't want to learn in it. I don't want to evaluate. don't want to understand what's going on. don't want to bring it to the Lord. And again, the reason for that is because I think I can fashion my own kind of heaven. So I want to kind of hurry up and get on to what I think needs to be heaven now. Many things, again, good. But you take a good thing, you make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. But of course, all this, my attempts to try to have my own heaven, of course, it never actually happens, right? We all know that. And yet, it doesn't keep us from trying to bring about our own heaven. Jesus says that if you're going to grow in learning how to wait eagerly, on our full adoption of sons, where Christ returns, our faith is turned to sight, and all is made right. 
You're going to have to learn how to slow down, choose the good portion like Mary that will never be taken away. You're going to have to slow down and ponder a heaven that doesn't come in your way or in your time. You're going to have to consider Christ. That's what we'll we'll finish up in a moment. I've heard this question passed around in in about three or four settings uh, in the past week. I've heard this question come up. It's a good one. Here's the question. As you are thinking about rushing back into your life, what life are you trying to rush back into? In other words, for all the people that don't have small children and are working from home frazzled and sleepless, uh, for the rest of us, what are you hurrying back into? What are you wanting to get back into so quickly? See, one of the silver linings of this quarantine is the chance to take stock of our lives, the lives that we've been living. Where are they going? And my guess is for most of us, before COVID-19, we were running around between work and engagements completely exhausted. I've heard that from a number of you. And so why are you so exhausted? What kingdom are you building? And does it include this notion of suffering with Christ, slowing down and evaluating what the Lord is teaching us, teaching you in this moment? Does it include an evaluation, a meditation in your hurrying? Does it include your thinking about where history is going? What Paul is saying right there in Romans 8.23. Are you like me and Martha, working tirelessly to have heaven now and skip sitting at the feet of Jesus and being oriented by heaven that is to come? Skip that kind of slow learning. If, if, if you want to skip suffering with Christ and skip slowing down with Christ, friend, then that probably explains why you and I don't groan or wait eagerly for heaven. You're too busy trying to have it all now. You know, in the days that followed the resurrection of Christ, I've always appreciated one of the first questions of the disciples. You can see it right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It's a sort of humorous, as we'll see. But Acts 1.6, Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He's, he's spending these 40 days with his disciples. And, and so when they had come, it says in Acts 1.6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So even after the resurrection, the disciples are sort of like, all right, well, sorry about that, Lord. You told us you were going to go to the cross. I know we were wanting to have the kingdom now. I should have gotten that. Sorry about that. You told us, but, right, but what about now? Now that you resurrected, is the kingdom come now? Can we be part of that now? (laughs) And we're all like that, right? We don't want, understandably, we don't want the pain. We don't want to wait. We don't want the wedding. We want the kingdom now. I've spent way too much time wondering when baseball is going to come back. You know, I've I've spent too much time. I I read an article uh, this week from Dr. Dr. Fauci said, you know, that... uh, uh, he said, if we keep doing what we're doing, we might can have some summer vacations. I've started to let myself think. Maybe in four or six weeks we can start gathering. Good stuff. Keep thinking about that. That's, that's, that's good. All fine and good. But listen, if we hurry past this moment, we lose the opportunity the Lord has given us to slow down, sit at the feet of Christ, and learn about where heaven is going or where history is going. Guys, take this time, what time you have, whatever time you have, take the time to build healthy, holy habits of meditating on where history is going. 
on who Christ is and what the kingdom is doing and where all this is going and what that means for us today. Want things to turn back to normal. Yes, want that. But also want to learn in these moments that the Lord is trying to teach us. Want to learn how to wait on heaven. I could think about that this past week. You know, this, uh, I was fasting this week um, and I can tell you I, didn't, I wanted to run. I wanted to hurry past the fasting. I wanted to get to the eating, you know. And uh, I can tell you, when I, by the time I did get to that eating, by the time I got there, man, that food was really sweet. I told Andy, uh, I was fasting lunches. And so um, by the time I got to dinner, I can't remember what day it was, Thursday or something, I said, it was, she, she made some chili. It was very good. But I said, I don't know if it's just the fasting, but this chili tastes really good. But that was because I didn't hurry past the fasting. I let it build those pain. There's the suffering. And then I let it teach me about that meal I was going to have that night. I didn't hurry past it. And when I actually consumed it, it was good. It was better. So if we're going to learn how to wait eagerly for the final resurrection, we're going to suffer with Christ. We can't hurry past it all. We try to listen. And thirdly, lastly, this is the part you've been waiting for. Savor the resurrected Christ. We savor the resurrected Christ in the waiting. Let's return to that anchor verse one more time. Romans 8, 23. Again, it says, And not only the creation, but we all ourselves who who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So in Christ, by faith, we already possess, Christians already possess the first fruits of the Spirit. Look at chapter 8, verse 15 again. We have been adopted. We have it. But our adoption won't be complete until we experience the same thing Jesus experienced, resurrected bodies. That's what we're waiting on. This is the hope of heaven. So if you're not a Christian right now, here it is. This is where it's all coming together for us as Christians. You you have hope for things, right, non-Christian friend? This is our hope as Christians. This is our ultimate hope. We've confessed to you this morning. We're not always good at this. But this is where our great hope, this is what gives us hope to keep going, to trust the Lord. When we get resurrected bodies, when Christ returns, our spirit and our body will be gathered up together and we will meet with God face to face on a resurrected earth. Jesus' resurrection from the dead not only showed us that his payment was received, that's important, but also, his resurrection also pictured the first fruits of heaven. This new world order. The world that everybody wants in the sense that there is no death. Jesus' resurrection assures the resurrection of all those that hope in his atonement for sin. Paul says we groan and wait, eagerly wait, for that to come. Because that's when justice will be served to all evil and the world will be made right and we will finally get to see Jesus with our eyes in resurrected bodies. No scars, no pain, no death. And you can see this notion of resurrection building into the hope. You can see how it anchors Paul's entire argument here in Romans 8.23 by looking, look back, look at verse 11 of chapter 8. You see he's talking about resurrection there. And then look after verse 23 into verse 34. You see resurrection there. So both sides of verse 23, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ. And our resurrection matches to that. Matter of fact, go ahead and look at verse 34. 
Look at verse 34. That verse is probably going to mess with some of you. Look at what he says. Paul says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Sir, underline these words. More than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God. So if you're wondering, is there anything more than the cross of Christ? What's the Apostle Paul's answer? Yes, there is something more than the cross of Christ, the resurrection and the ascension. This is why Paul says that if Christ does not raise from the dead, our faith is futile. It's meaningless. So if you're not a Christian, you're wondering what Christians believe, if you can show that Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, this is all ridiculous. But if he did raise from the dead, that changes everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, which is, what, which is a lot of the way we live, right? We are of all people to be most pitied. And again, yeah, that's how many of us sort of function as is evidenced by our lack of groaning and eager waiting on the resurrection from the dead. In Christ, myself included, we all too often hope in this life only. Now, hopefully we have some tools by now to kind of grow in groaning, grow in this hoping of heaven. But let me leave you, let me leave us with the one thing that you probably expected to hear this morning. Easter Sunday morning. See, the other two ingredients of suffering and sitting are the kind of bitter herbs that flavor the sweet substance of the vision of the consummated kingdom of heaven. So we need to take time in the suffering, in the sitting, to savor the substance of the resurrected Christ and his kingdom. So, we don't want to live in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. We want to live in Romans 8, 23. And I want to show you how the Bible assumes that that's what we ought to be doing, which will then build, I think, in us this savoring of the resurrected Christ. We look back at the cross where Jesus paid for our sins. We see his resurrection as the first fruits, the check cleared. We have reason to hope now in a future orientation. So for those of you that were here a year ago, you remember uh, when I came back from sabbatical, this was the passage I preached. And over the course of my sabbatical, I studied this hope in heaven. And one of the things I found that was a bit of a surprise to me was that the forward, the looking back at the cross and the resurrection, the forward vision of a hope in heaven for the New Testament authors, that was the engine, a forward vision for life. That was the engine for the Christian life. Uh, that's what I found over the course of my sabbatical. It took me three months to figure that out, but I saw it. There it was. Too often, right, in the Christian life, uh, we're told sort of to be really moral. Do better, go to church, read your Bible, pray, right? When we're just saying that stuff, there's no power in the sort of activity. That's just moralizing. But if it's wedded to this forward vision in the future, then it's the engine. And so if we're going to grow in hope and heaven, we've got to learn, and in particular, what we need to do is we need to see how the Bible is teaching us to be motivated by this future vision. And in that, as we savor it, think about it, we can be strengthened. Let me give you just a tiny appetizer for how the New Testament authors are assuming this forward vision to keep us going in the Christian life. Let me just give you a tiny appetizer of how the New Testament authors do this. Not including the book of Revelation which is because like the whole book is based on that, 
But not including the book of Revelation, I found 387 verses that counseled this future vision of a hope in heaven as the vision to keep going. Cross and resurrection, look back, 387 verses spent focusing forward. Here's just a, oh, let me, and 15 of those 387 verses were specifically about waiting. Here's, I'm going to give you just a handful. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. You are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Titus 2, 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, there's the past, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. James 5.7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And guys, listen, that's just a nibble on a cheese cracker, right? That's a little piece. Waiting is this active. Christian life is this active waiting. We look back and we actively wait for the end. All that this coronavirus has taken from us, including those that have died in the Lord, but also time, treasures, and yes, even church gatherings, all of that's coming back to us. More than that, we will have even more because we will have eternity together. Eternity to revel in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth, worshiping our resurrected Lord Jesus. There will be no more viruses, no more job loss, no more social distancing, no more funerals, because there will be no more death. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more night. It'll be Easter, warm Sundays with full church meeting houses every day for eternity. We will gather, we will sing of the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior. He's going to be our treasure in heaven. He's our hope. We will get to enjoy the fullness of our adoption and never again will we have to fear. No more. Can you imagine that? Never fearing again. Resurrected body. All of that, guys, is in front of us. It's in front of us. It's been promised to us. God has kept every single promise, including the giving of his son, including the resurrection of his son. He's made good on every single promise. So we have every reason to hope that this one is true and is coming. And so now we sojourn as Christians. We sojourn in the wilderness now, don't we? But soon enough, we're going to get to the Jordan River. We are in the wilderness. It's hard. But we're going to get to the Jordan. And we will cross over into the New Jerusalem. Friends, the whole world right now is looking for a cure to the coronavirus. And all that's doing, that's just another way of saying they're looking for a cure for death. We know that cure. We know that cure. That's what Christ has done. That's Easter Sunday. 
That's what we'll have in heaven. Our Savior has done it. It is finished. Jesus lives, he is Lord, and he is returning to take us home to a place where there is no death. Thus, the the language of eternal life. And so as we all lament these present realities today, I look out into an empty room with great disappointment. But here's what I'm going to choose to do today to kind of sum all this up. When I look at this empty room and think about all that would have happened otherwise, full room, I'm going to choose in this moment to slow down and learn from the disappointment so that I would anticipate, listen, stay with me, so that I would learn to anticipate the day when this room will be full again. Singing, fellowshipping. But as I learn that in this moment, and as I get that, Lord willing, when we do come together, that day, when we come together, that day's gonna remind me of that, of how that day points to a better day when all the churches will come together in heaven. And we will worship and see our Savior that we have been waiting on. So I'm going to use this moment, the kind of disappointment of this moment and the empty halls here to look forward to the day when we will come together, which will then point me to the day when, when all the churches will come together on a resurrected earth where we will then see and savor our Christ face to face. And I'm going to do all of this so I can learn how to groan, learn how to be active in my waiting, learn how to really live in where my citizenship lies. And I pray that you would join me in the same. I pray that you would learn to suffer with Christ, be inconvenienced with Christ. Learn, pray that you will learn to sit still with Christ and learn from him so that you would then learn to see him in his resurrection fullness and the world in which we will all live. And as we do these three things, we'll grow in our groaning, and we'll learn to really live with hopeful lives and be even more impactful in this world for the glory of Christ and the good of one another. And last thing, for a friend, if you are not a Christian, not a Christian, you've not trusted in Christ, I hope that you see now why you have reason to repent and believe. One, as I said, that Christ has atoned for sin. He's made the payment that you can't make. Two, that he's overcome it in the resurrection. And three, that hope that you want so bad, that place of no death, it can be found in Jesus. And so if you want to give your life to Christ, I assure you that the person that invited you to this would love to hear from you. Call them up right now and say, how is it I can have this hope? How is it this hope can be mine? And if you don't have anybody to call, then contact us. We would love to talk to you about it. But no matter what we do, as we go about our days today and even the day ahead, May we learn how to wait, that we might learn how to then enjoy the glory of a consummated earth, worshiping a resurrected Savior. Let's pray to him now. God, forgive us for the ways in which we don't eagerly wait, how we don't groan. Thank you for the grace of forgiveness. And God, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to live and where our citizenship lies. Teach us how to hope in the final resurrection so that we might learn how to wait, that we might then enjoy 
the resurrected Lord upon his return, his soon return. Thank you for the promises that we have to have this hope. May we stand in it, we pray in Jesus' name.